Welcome to the Geek Saga Podcast, brought to you by Geek Saga Entertainment. Hi, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, here with my co-host Manny for the Geek Saga Podcast series, 90s and Naughties Cringe Factor. This series focuses on some of those problematic teen movies and rom-coms from the 90s and early 2000s that we, shoot, is it love to hate or hate to love? Either way, I'm Manny, and for this episode, we're chatting about the cringe factor of a movie that was kind of conveniently released almost exactly 25 years ago. 1998's Can't Hardly Wait. Unlike She's All That, which had its roots in Pygmalion and My Fair Lady, Can't Hardly Wait was a movie that simply came to be thanks to practicality, namely minimal expenses. Yes, we're for real. They knew it would be cheap to film a movie set almost entirely in one place, that being the party house, and apparently figured it had been a while since a teen movie was filmed anyway. While the original plot called for a love story between the main character Preston, played by Ethan Embry, and his BFF Denise, played by Lauren Ambrose, the filmmakers instead settled on the idea of dividing up a bunch of characters who represented different high school archetypes, and assigning each of them their own narrative. The end result is a movie about a night-long alcohol and drug-fueled rager of a graduation party that accumulates in a nerdy Preston finally getting to kiss his longtime crush. New kid turned popular girl, Amanda, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh, and it's stacked with quite a few cameos and plenty of before-they-were-famous appearances to boot. We will begin our discussion with a list of 10 things we hate about this movie, then suck it up and admit one to three things we actually liked in our these are all that section. We'll also rate Can't Hardly Wait on a cringe factor scale of 1 to 10 Zach Morris's before concluding with our watch this, not that suggestion for the episode. But before we get started, you can follow me and therefore all of the Geek Saga endeavors at A Geek Saga on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Manissimo Art. Last but not least, we hope that you'll check out the Geek Saga Entertainment Patreon. With 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month, it's a great way to support us and receive some fun perks in return, including early access to these 90s and naughties Cringe Factor podcast episodes. Check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time for 10 Things We Hated About This Movie. Number one, Preston's delusions about him and Amanda and how he now has a second chance simply because her popular boyfriend broke up with her had me just super eye rolling. It's very nice guy TM. The whole movie begins with him finding out that Mike broke up with Amanda at graduation and He's thinking, Amanda and I have to finish what we started four years ago. Amanda and I are connected. We have been since the first day she came to school. And it's literally just a list of coincidences. He was late to school, so he is the first person to see her. Which, like, uh, does this mean she belongs to you, kid? Look, I'm going to say this. Like, (laughs) as being a kid in high school back in the day, every guy has those delusions. Every single guy I've met has those delusions. They always think that, oh, well, now I have a chance because they're single. And it's like, motherfucker, if you had a chance, it wouldn't matter if she was fucking with somebody or not. I think the difference between some of the stuff I've experienced and some of my friends did is that I straight up knew I was delusional, you know? (laughs) And I used to always tell myself, the relationship is going to be much better in my own head anyway. 
you know? So let's just go with that, you know? And I can conjure up my own things. And, you know, I was into writing and stuff. So I used to write like fan fiction about me and whoever it was. And I've done that quite a few times. There's a lot of people out there that don't realize that they have books like written about them. <laughs> You know, and I totally did. It's nothing like gross or like erotic or anything like that. It's just very lovey-dovey Jane Austen type writing stuff. That was like the style that I was into. So that's how I wrote stuff. And I just like elaborated everything to make it like, so long story short, most guys, that's almost like a defense, like a, oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with me. Now I, the only reason we couldn't be together was because she was with this person and now's my chance. I mean, the thing is like, it starts with him wanting to finish what they started four years ago and thinking they're connected but it goes from the whole I was late to school and I was the first person to see her and then of all the classes she walked into mine uh oh my god how many homerooms are there give me a yeah. fucking break yeah <laughs> even at a big school you know and especially for the same class then it's like wow the teacher has her sit next to Preston uh, other glimpses of the room show nothing but full desks. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like there was just, you know, there was like seven empty seats and it's like, Leia, you're just going to sit you next to here. There was one empty seat. Like, come on, guy. You're literally sitting next to the only empty seat. Yeah. <laughs> then like the strawberry Pop-Tart thing. We both, oh, we both had the same breakfast pastry. First of all, did Pop-Tart pay for this movie? Because yeah. nobody right. else calls Pop-Tarts breakfast pastries. Like the exactly. closest store-bought breakfast pastry that's not made in like an actual bakery at the store that I will maybe give a slight pass to is toaster strudels. Yeah. Okay. But we both had a strawberry Pop-Tarts. How many different Pop-Tart flavors were there in 1998? I think there was like three or like two. I know it wasn't a lot. There was the cinnamon one, probably mm -hmm. blueberry and strawberry. And strawberry. Maybe brown sugar? I think brown sugar came later, but I could be wrong about that. Because I discovered brown sugar when I was an adult. And I was like, oh, yeah, I like this. You know, because I was not a fan of Pop-Tarts. Yeah, they've never been my thing, necessarily. Actually, when I started drinking was when I became a fan of them. Because when you <laughs> wake up the next morning and you're like, I don't want to cook. I just need to put something in my stomach. That's when I became a fan of them regardless whatever there weren't like the 20 flavors of pop tarts that we have now so ooh, oh my god we both had a strawberry pop tarts a there weren't that many flavors back then b strawberry obviously was the best don't at me yeah you know what and i really think that it's this is just equivalent of like oh my god we both walked up to the water fountain at the same time you know we both drink water oh my gosh <laughs> Like, well, okay, the 1998 version, if it was a drink, I would have said, like, Snapple. Snapple. They both pulled oh, yeah. a Snapple out of their <laughs> It also seems to me that his literal split second, and it was really a split second of hesitation regarding giving her the school tour, overwhelms all of the above. Yeah. It was a split second, dude. Fine, whatever. You do you, Preston. And then, this is jumping forward a little bit, but later in the movie, after he sees her getting kissed, ugh by a guy who uh, ugh, happens yeah. to be her cousin by marriage ugh, which okay listen they're not blood related but it's still weird as fuck he's all like she's not supposed to be with someone else she's supposed to be with me again that that is another guy delusion like you know guys don't talk about it they're probably going to take me out back and beat me up but giving up all their secrets but Look, I haven't gotten like that in many, many, many of years, probably since I left high school. But I think most guys go through that at least once in their life when it's like, no, we're supposed to be together. You know, it's probably that that teen angst stuff. The problem is it does actually move into adulthood, but the truly good people grow out of that. 
Yeah. And like for me, because I had experiences like that when I was a little older. I mean, at least I didn't fucking lie to myself, you know, like I knew I was being fucking delusional because I would like vent to like my friends sometimes, like if there was a girl that I had a crush on and she liked somebody else or happened to start dating someone else. I just preface it with, look, dude, you just got to let me be delusional here for five minutes and just get it out of my system, you know, and then I'll feel better. Just let me get it out. You know, don't judge me. Yeah. And listen, having thoughts like that is one thing. But this whole movie, it's based on this supposed idea of a romantic attachment that should and eventually does exist between Preston and Amanda. And yet the roots of the basis are a litany of coincidences that lead to a delusion on his part. And again, like I said, nice guy TM... Well, yeah, I mean, the whole movie just seems to be written by, like, a nice guy. Because even when they, like, hook up, it's, like, it's real easy to sweet-talk someone when they're coming out of a weird, shitty fucking shit. And they're in a bad situation, right? Like, if you're in a in a shitty-ass party and there's, like, the one person who's, like, oh, I've liked you forever and you're so sweet and you say all these nice things, you know, they say all these nice things about you, you're, like, oh, fuck, this person is so sweet. Because you're literally in an ocean of just garbage and there's one glass of water to drink. You're going to automatically gravitate to that so i think the fact of her getting that note at that party and all that shit was just like convenient and just bullshit and like it's like if she would have saw it at random later you know and been like oh wow this guy did like me i'd love to have seen her find that note when she was having a good day Mm -hmm. you know and see how that turned out you know i don't think it would have turned out the same yeah and we'll uh we'll get into how she gets the note but what's up next i'm glad you gave me this one Number two, literally everything about Seth Green's character, Kenny, and by extension, his friends. His whole persona, a poster boy for cultural appropriation. Need we say more? No, really. Can we even, without saying something we shouldn't? Seriously. There's more to it than just the cultural appropriation, and I honestly don't want to get into that too much because I don't want to go off on a tangent that I'm just going to have to delete later. Because again, I'm white. I know you are not, but let's just say that even back when I saw this movie in the late 90s, I remember being like, oh, no, 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 no. This is bad. And I came from a small town where there were definitely white boys that acted like this, but not. And okay, it's a movie. It's basically a parody almost of the people who did act like that in real life. But at the same time, even back then, I was like, wow. I know this is supposed to be making fun of people who act like this, but also awkward. Yeah, it was really awkward. And it was terrible to like, see, we didn't have too many people like that when I was in high school. I was supposed to graduate in like 95. So this was kind of like before that. So what we had, we did have the equivalent of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't that white, I guess I can say. But, you know, I hung out with a lot of white gangster kids and they were very normal thugs. They weren't over the top and it's totally ridiculous like that. It was just like, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's like your thing, like whatever. This was like a complete over-exaggeration. But I can't even say it was that much of an over-exaggeration because I have met people just like that. And it's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, even in the 90s. What are you doing, dudes? It was terrible, dude. And dude, his obsession with getting laid, right? Like, okay, I get it. It's a high school thing. You just, you, you got to get some, right? You got to go out and got to get some. But look, 
that love kit thing, I'm sorry. That was completely over the top and to me just felt like a cartoon. I'm like, dude, this is like an SNL sketch to me. Like, this does not seem right. Really? Yeah, part of me is like a little, almost a little bit torn by it because it's like, oh my God, he wants to use it as a tool. That's the bad part. But the other part about that is there's also a chance, it seems, based on what's in the love kit mm -hmm. and on the way he's trying to like prepare himself in the bathroom before the inevitable happens he gets locked in with his yeah, former he's, best friend he's trying to make it pleasurable for her too yes so mm -hmm. i and it was one of those things where i paused and was like looking at what was in it and that's that <laughs> I, listen no matter what cringe okay but i'll give him this it does seem like he actually cares a little bit a little bit tiny bit maybe that the other person enjoys it too he, I don't know. It's bad all around, but there is some sort of inkling of maybe not the worst in there that there's a chance that he does want the other person to enjoy it and be into it as well. Yeah, and I can I can definitely get that vibe from him in particular towards the end of the movie when he starts kind of being like a normal person where it's like, okay, this guy, he's just trying to fit in. You can only be like a an outcast or a nerd for so long before you're just go full throttle and just dedicate yourself to something he just dedicated himself to this but yeah with the love kit yeah you know what i didn't really think about that but you're absolutely right when it was coming out of your mouth it hit me where i was like oh you know what no yeah it wasn't just him wanting to get pleasure he wanted them to like really be pleasured what guy is looking through the fucking karma sutra or has a fucking candle with them you know what I'm saying? Like to, to go make love to a woman, right? It's like condoms, dude, not just shoved in their wallet. Yeah. Condoms, not just shoved in, in their wallet. He's got lotions and all this shit. And I'm like, what little that? feather thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the hell he thought he was going to use those for at a fucking graduate graduation rager. Well, that's yeah. hard to say. I say graduation rager five times. <laughs> <laughs> graduation rager. I'll give him like plus five points. <laughs> to mitigate his like negative a thousand points he was I, one of those guys that i probably would have become friends with and just tried to like guide him in the right direction where i'm like dude you're 50 percent there let's just drop all this other stuff and keep going you know like you care about the other person i think that's fantastic i did have a little giggle though when at one point denise is talking about kenny and she says his wardrobe alone leaves him open for public mockery i mean yep yep it does the white thugs that I knew back in the day. This to me comes off very much as like a, it's definitely 2000s. It was like that 2000s kind of thing, you know, where I was like, okay, this is already kind of after my time. I saw some people like that, but I didn't really associate with any of them like that. But they were always mocked by regular people. There was nobody in my circle or any circles that I knew that watched MTV and saw these people like that and were like, oh man, I would totally want to mimic that. We would just fucking laugh at them. Hosers. Yeah. Well, you had touched on a little bit about the nerd kid trying to fit in. Number three on our list is, in general, nerdy kid gets drunk and is suddenly popular. The funny thing about this is, it's not necessarily the best segue because William is the main nerdy kid's name william wasn't originally going to this party to try to fit in and his other two friends definitely didn't like let's no. be real the three of them are very flat 
nerd stereotypes. I mean, even worse than what we saw in She's All That, okay? Yeah, like it was bad. It was bad. They're wearing matching Trust No One shirts, which, listen, I get behind because I love the X-Files in high school, still do today. But, like, like none of us were like that, you know? <laughs> like, oh. I always think about it where I try to put myself in these kids' positions, right? Because, like, we got picked on and shit like that. And it was like, well, we would have never have gone to a house and then waited on a roof to the other guy that gets in and then we're going to jump. And I'm like, we would do something that would, like, really do some good monetary damage. So, to me, it's like... I don't know. It's just, it's all wrong. <laughs> I mean, they had like a model of the White House that they were using when they were planning their little thing. And, and they have to have their action figures. And it's like, yeah. dude, no nerd is going to touch their action figures like that and use it. No. Seriously. Even in the 90s, okay? You're not taking Grand Moff Tarkin and Boba Fett action figures. You're not playing with those. No. As a senior in high school, those are collectibles, bitch. Exactly. They're literally sitting on your shelf somewhere, you know, and no one's going to touch them. And they're like, oh, they're mashing them together and like, <laughs> no, I mean, dude. when he pulls out the kiss dolls and he's like, you can both be kiss dolls because they're fighting over who has to be Grandma Tarkin mm-hmm. versus Boba Fett. They should have just used the kiss dolls from the beginning because the yep. Boba Fett and Grandma Tarkin dolls would have been sitting on a fucking shelf somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is how nerdy we are. Listen, yeah. we know these things. <laughs> we know these things. <laughs> they, should have, they should have enlisted an actual nerd in 1997 or whatever when they were filming this movie. Exactly. But, a nerd consultant. <laughs> <laughs> seriously. But like the whole nerdy kid gets drunk and is suddenly a popular thing. Like, listen, I'm sure we can get into this in a lot more detail, but that's basically what happens. Even the moment where he takes the stage, like after the band gets in the fight and they all like quit and mm-hmm. uh, somebody just puts a song on a CD or something who knows yeah. and it's um I don't remember what song it was but he's like oh I used to tutor a guy who made me listen to this and he gets up and he starts singing and at first everybody's like what the fuck I was going oh it's Paradise City right I think that's what yeah he was Paradise, Paradise City, City. Yeah. and at first everybody's like what the fuck is going on and then 30 seconds into the song all of a sudden they're like yeah wait we love this dude and granted, he was with a smaller sect of the people at the party when he was drinking and everybody was like clapping him on the back and like, yeah, man, you're so cool. And then he gets to do this and all the girls are fawning over him and everything. And it's just like, huh. <sighs> Again, I've said this before, but I'm from a very small town. So like my high school, we definitely had little cliques, but there weren't these like really just like straight stereotypes but at the same time, graduation party or not, super nerdy kid that we'd all thought of as super nerdy for years, which I was kind of closer to that level than the popular level by far. But, you know, super nerdy kid at the bottom of the high school food chain, just getting drunk, which also is just, ugh, oh, you have to get drunk to be cool. But then yeah. on top of that, gets up and sings Paradise City. And to be fair, did a really great job. Mm-hmm. But also, then the girls like dragging him into the bathroom afterward and stuff. Just all right. Yeah, it was like this a bit is... much, you know. It was like, yeah, look, when you get the nerdy guy and they get drunk and they do that, they become popular for one of two reasons: either a, because you know what, they're a genuinely cool guy and they were really funny to be around. They just needed to loosen up. They needed to mm-hmm. break whatever that was. 
And the other reason is because we're all sitting here fucking laughing at you. And this is going to make for amazing stories when we're at school tomorrow. So I think in his case, it turned out that he was just a fucking cool guy, you know? And, like, he does like to have fun, but he needed to just lose those fucking inhibitions. I'm the same fucking way sometimes. If you get me into a, a crowd of people with nobody I know, dude, I'm going to be boring as fuck. I have to, like, take a few shots or, or just have a few drinks so I can, like, mingle and hang out and fucking talk. That's just, that's how I am. I'm not an extrovert, but I'm like an assisted kind of extrovert where it's like, I just need a little bit. Give me a little bit and I'll start talking to people. But if I'm sober, I'm an introvert, 100%. If it's in a like party with people, I don't know. Yeah, it was just, it went from flat nerd stereotype to like unbelievable level. Come on, man. But see, but the thing with this movie with me is that everything was so unbelievable that at this point, it's like I was just watching a fantasy movie. This is just like, I'm just watching Lord of the Rings right now. Okay? Is this the real life? <laughs> exactly. Is this just fantasy? <laughs> oh, man. But that's what it was. Like, there was just that suspension of, like, belief or whatever it had already hit me, you know, where I'm just like, this is ridiculous. And I'm sorry, every time they tried to make Preston break the fourth wall or talk up into the camera, but he's really talking. I just wanted to punch his face, dude. I guess technically he wasn't breaking the fourth wall because oh, it was but, like we were yeah. hearing his inner thoughts. But still, I think the idea of this movie just being filled with unbelievable nonsense leads right into number four. Oh, yeah. The letter's magical journey. Really, The powerful. hero's journey, really. It was a hero's journey. There was an act one. <laughs> act two and there was an act three in it you know i mean it was like a full-on mini arc inside this amazing masterpiece that was this movie it's a total plot convenience that's great whatever preston threw it in the trash and then yearbook girl whose name i'm not ever gonna remember or care about but played by melissa joan hart which we'll also touch on later but yearbook girl her yearbook got thrown away and she is like flinging trash out so the letter gets flung out of the trash can after Preston puts it in there. Then there's a girl with gum on her shoe and she's bitching about the gum on her shoe and the gum on her shoe picks up the letter from the ground outside and walks into the house and then realizes, oh shit, I've got something on my shoe. Ew. First of all, the gum was ew enough, but mm -hmm. she peels the letter away from the gum and it's sitting just inside the door. Then the keg rolls by <laughs> and the letter gets somehow picked up by the keg. I'm guessing by the condensation. Yeah. Uh, the condensation <laughs> on the keg picks up the letter, it rolls for a bit, lands on the floor in another room, and then, was it a hockey guy? Like a hockey fan? Hockey player? I'm pretty sure it was hockey, because it was something with a stick. He was using a broom, I think, but he's like, yeah, and then I did this, and then I did this, poo! And he, with his broom or whatever that is so supposed to be a hockey stick, he flips it, like, up into the air, and it lands on the turntable, where the record is spinning. So it gets flung off there to land in a bowl of snack mix right in front of Amanda. And then she was like, kind of like looking around. I'm going to say this, okay? Maybe people are going to hate me for this. That was the best part of the movie. It was literally like the best cinematic part of the entire movie. I felt like the director probably felt like this was his time to shine. And I'm like, I have this great idea, guys, but I have to do something stupid with it. But I really want to try doing like a one single shot of this envelope going from the trash can into the uh, thing of popcorn. Okay, which let's face it, I really hope no one eats the top layer of that popcorn with, you know, the trash shoe floor letter snacks, you know, all that shit. It's probably <laughs> better that nobody ate after that. But yeah, I think me personally, I was like, this is the most cinematic shot. It's the stupidest thing I've seen all night. 
aside from the rest of the movie, but I was like, you know, <laughs> this shot, I was like, you know what, dude, at least look, I've written stories where like 99% of it was garbage and I've literally filled it with garbage just so I can tell one scene. That was it. I just had this one scene. The rest was filler because I had no place else to put it. And if anyone read that shit, I don't have it anymore. If anyone fucking read it, they'd be like, the whole thing is absolute garbage. It's incoherent. But there's this one fucking scene where it's like, hey, you know what? And going back to like when Amanda reads the note and she's in a sea of trash and she's like, oh, wow, this person really thinks highly of me because she's having a terrible day and she's in this garbage fucking situation. The same thing with that scene. That's why I liked the scene. I was like, oh, this scene is fucking great. You know why? Because the rest of the movie is fucking trash and at least they did something here and don't get me wrong it's not a good scene and by by any measure but i'm just saying that it was the best scene in that movie (laughs) yeah it's again a whole bunch of coincidences slash conveniences and also again yeah i really hope no one eats the top layer of that bowl of snacks i think it was like a chex mix or like a nut mix or something whatever either way maybe Probably, let's be real. The letter being found by Amanda at that point before Mike has his little conversation with Trip McNeely was like a sexual icon at their school. And he graduated years ago and Mike has a conversation with him out in the yard because Trip is somehow back at this high school party. Cause it's like, yeah, man, like high school girls. I haven't been able to get any in college because like I broke up with my high school girlfriend and all the college girls weren't older guys. And all of this is a big bunch of nonsense, but Mike has this conversation. So he runs back trying to get Amanda to be with him again. So this is number five. Mike running back inside, trying to get Amanda to be with him again, and then trying to talk shit when she says no. All of that is in and of itself awkward and awful. They go back and forth. And when he's like, who's going to want you now? And she's like, somebody does. And it's like, that's a good point. I don't disagree with that point being made. I don't necessarily think the idea of someone else wanting her is the important point here, but. And it's like you said earlier, there was a lot of like nice guy vibes in that. So Amanda pulls out the letter and she's like, somebody wants me. I don't even remember what Mike says to her, but he still tries to one up her and she's like, whatever, dude. And she just turns and walks away. And it's clear that she has won the argument and then someone, and it's a girl in the Mm -hmm. audience yells fag as soon as it's very obvious that amanda has won this little sort of back and forth argument just the whole thing is mike going after her them having this little tete-a-tete in front of everybody amanda being like someone still wants me and then turning away from him and somebody calling him a fag because amanda put the gabosh on everything Mm it's just everything about that is so crazy i don't know how much even discussion there is to be had about that because it's a lot of just oh no I made a mistake because I was told by this old guy that actually high school is the best it gets and now I've got to run back to the girlfriend who I broke up with terribly and have been treating like shit all night if not Mm -hmm. before then as well and then in front of everybody try to talk shit to her and she one-ups me not even trying God, it's just, it's bad. Oh, which leads right into the fact that the whole revenge of the nerds prank was to make Mike look like he had a tryst with another dude. In this case, Nerdy Kid William, though the latter bit was by mistake. Lame. 
I don't really know. They never really detailed the entire plan. That would have been story. Yeah. The nerdy kids friends, they weren't trying to get a picture of their friend along with the guy who's been torturing them for all of high school. But the idea that that was what they were trying to do in the first place in general was to make it look like Mike had a tryst with another dude. Like, oh, he's gay. Because that was like the ultimate like insult, right? Like, oh, dude, you're gay. (laughs) I never understood that. I had a lot of friends that were like that. But I was like, bro, I don't give a shit. (laughs) You know, I don't fucking care. I was a pretty lonely dude in high school. It's like, look, dude, if a guy likes me, dude, then I'll take it as a fucking compliment. At least somebody fucking does. I don't understand that. But yeah, but you know what? That goes into the times. And you know what? Even for a movie that was made in 98, it was a little surprising to me. I would expect that from like a movie from the late 80s. But late 90s, man, I was like, that honestly kind of surprised me a little bit. And I I didn't think I would think that watching it, but I was like, you know what, too? Because even at this time, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't as good as it is now to where we got this understanding where like, hey, don't be saying shit like that. But even for 1998, man, you know, bad call. I mean, and then they double down on it when the cops find them because they're passed out and they call them sickos and arrest them. Okay, we can pretend, I guess, that the reason they arrested them was because they were underage and under the influence. But the fact that they called them sickos just because they were positioned in a way that it looked like they'd been having a sort of tryst. And I don't understand that, right? When you look at history, like the Romans did these kind of things back then, you know? And there were this great empire and people were just like, and it's like, that was just normal. I feel like that's the one part of history because I've always felt like America was very closely tied with like the Roman empire. And this is like the one thing where I'm like, guys, how can you fuck this one thing up? These guys were totally okay getting down with each other all the time. It was like male camaraderie was just, hey, dude, this is what we do. You know, there was none of them were doing like, what's the problem? Why are we having a hard time with this? You know, like Uh, because Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And that's absolutely right. That was really is the one key difference there. Right. Because they were they were pagans or whatever they believed in. And then, yeah, Christianity. I will say that I guess it was at least cool that Mike took the fall for William after they were arrested, saying he fed him the alcohol and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But he ruins it by shaking off William's thanks. William goes to him in the diner and he's like, thanks for doing that. And Mike just immediately starts making fun of him. And I mean, beyond making fun of him, he's like doing like the eyeglasses and Urkel and just being really dumb about it. Like almost, almost like offensive, not just to nerds, but others as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that scene again, was another missed opportunity, right? Because he's in front of his friends. He wants to still be a badass. And when he pushes him off the thing and his friends are laughing and looks away, he looks over at nerd guy and just kind of like winks at him. Like, you know, like he, maybe he's secretly a nerd too. Right. Like it should have been something like that where it was like at the very least, but no, he was just, he just went back to like normal, you know, or whatever Jocko thing that they do. He sobered up, I guess. Yeah. I did find it interesting that the little future note thing for Mike was that Mike ended up fired from his job after some incriminating Polaroid surface. 
sucks because it was just the pictures of the stage tryst with Mm -hmm. William and, you know, homophobia. But also, lol, because we kind of have to assume that they, quote unquote, surfaced on purpose, whether Mm -hmm. William did it or his friends. I don't know. It wasn't believable to me. Like, it would have been more believable if he said, yeah, picture surfaced. Now he's still on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. You know, like, (laughs) that would have been more believable to me, you know, like... I mean, what would have been more believable to me is that if he had such a change of heart, unless he was still drunk when it happened, if he had such a change of heart to take the fall for William, then why literally the next morning in front of his friends who literally haven't done anything for him be that big of a jerk, like without any sort of nod or wink to William, like, yeah, I'm just doing this because I have to, which is still shitty, but that's why his character arc sucked because if he would have just looked at the kid when he's walking away and just kind of like winked at him like or like gave him a nod like yeah man we may not be friends but you know hey last night was awesome but i can't say that in front of at least i could have been like okay well at least the guy's not a complete douche he's just in a weird area right so at least it would have been something for his character but no but he had no character arc so no okay so number seven I tried looking this up. I can't find anything. Maybe I watched some weird censored version. Or perhaps some of these were the things that were done to avoid the movie having an R rating. But what the fuck was with the weird non-swear words? Yeah, it's like watching it on a regular TV. So did you, I don't know if you noticed any other than Bullcorn and Jesus Cribs. No, that was it. And I watched on HBO Max. I so. There's no reason for those to be censored on HBO Max, but all I can think of is that it was 1998 and they were trying to keep it from getting an R rating. The thing is, I don't remember if I saw it in theaters, honestly, or if I rented it later, whatever, but Bullcorn, (laughs) which is apparently, now Urban Dictionary says it's a combination of bullshit and corny, and Jesus Cribs? Jesus Cribs. What the fuck is Jesus Cribs? It would have made sense to me if they put these in there and this movie was made in like 1991 or 1992 or maybe a little earlier, you know, in the 80s when they're having the satanic panic and they're like, we can't say Jesus Christ. Because I remember as a kid, I watched Back to the Future and when the DeLorean takes off and Marty McFly's like, Jesus Christ or whatever. And it was just like, oh no, it's Jesus Louise or whatever the fuck. I don't know what the fuck it was. Something like that. And I was really surprised to be like, why would they censor something like that? Why would they do something weird like that? I'm pretty sure it was Back to the Future. I can't remember. I mean, I was a kid back then. But it was really weird that they would like, why are they censoring Jesus Christ, right? But yeah, it kind of makes sense, you know, for at the time. That's when you had the 80s crazies going on and stuff like that. But now, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, that's not going to... Well, I mean, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, is that the way the movie was filmed? Because, I mean, again, this movie is 25 years old. It came out on, I think... June 12, 1998. And we're recording this on May 18th. So we're less than a month from the 25th anniversary. 25th anniversary. Stupid fucking movie. (laughs) And I just, obviously I would never remember specifics like that from a movie I saw 25 years ago. But I don't know. There might have been others too that I missed, but those two were dumb enough. Also, if you're curious about what was actually noted as being changed to avoid an R rating, because I did Google this in several different ways, trying to figure out if it was something that after the movie was released in the theaters or whatever, things were changed for when it went to VA. Or things were changed for when it went to syndication of any sort, like if they were playing Mm -hmm. it on TBS or whatever, I could find literally nothing. But I did find that there were things they did to avoid an R rating 
And that's kind of why I'm wondering if the faux swears were part of that. But those things were, it sounds like it was mostly shots of kids actually drinking. Yeah. They could make it obvious what was happening, but couldn't show it happening. Like they couldn't show them taking shots or drinking from a keg. I saw an article that said that the most expensive CG in the film was they had a kid drinking out of a keg and Sony noped it in terms of like, if you want a PG-13 rating, you can't have this. So they put a balloon in the kid's mouth or something. And they also apparently used red plastic cups to keep the audience from knowing what was inside. Like, I think this, we all know. Yeah, we all know. Look. Literally the whole world knows. <laughs> they say red plastic cups because they can't say solo cups. Solo but cups. We're just a podcast, so we can say we red can. solo cups. Yeah. <laughs> we all fucking know what's in a yeah. red solo cup. Ain't nobody drinking out of red solo cups. No one's drinking fucking Sprite in there or anything like that. I, okay, I mean, I guess to be fair, yes, there are some people in the world who drink non-alcoholic shit out of red solo cups. But when you're at a party, no no exactly look this movie see and they went wrong with it right because this movie could have used an r rating i think it would have helped it have some sex scenes have some marijuana smokage like real fucking shit real drug usage have real off the wall fucking party a girl walks around guy walks around takes pants off you know in front of everybody oh my god it is crazy i think the movie probably would have like done better or i've been like okay because it almost feels like a I don't know. It's like the Wish version of like Animal House. It's like I ordered Animal House online and I got Animal's House. And then this was the movie that I got, you know, and it's fucking terrible. So the movie did not do super well monetarily. I did look no, that up. No, no way. It, like, it did well based on its budget, but it didn't do well overall. I believe it. But this was also... This was pre-American Pie era. American Pie hadn't come out yet. So there was that good old American puritanical. See, and I wasn't into the American Pie movies. I think I watched the first one and I watched one of the last ones. Like it was weird. I don't know if I could actually be close friends with anybody who really. uh... Like enjoyed it, you know, like. Well, okay. Let's be fair. I found it funny in the late 90s. But it was in that like cringy sort of way. It was weird, you know. I mean, if, I like somebody was obsessed with American Pie, the movies. Yeah, no. Mm. I watched it and it was like cringe, but it was like uh, it was entertaining cringe, is what it was. And you know, obviously, I was a big fan of Allison Hannigan, and I liked Eugene Levy, you know. So it was cool to like see him in it, you know. Like I liked that. I watched that one, and I think I watched one of the last. I don't know. I was drunk one night, and you know how I get. And I just watched some weird fucking movie and but at least those movies were like i'm not gonna say they were well written but at least those movies were written (laughs) right like (laughs) which as we said at the beginning of the episode this movie was basically just like a how cheaply can we make a teen movie because one hasn't been made in a while Anyway, just to touch on the one last thing of the how they got it a PG-13 rating instead of an R rating is they actually added a scene after the fact. The jailhouse responsibility lecture oh, yeah. was added to temper all of the underage drinking. Like, oh, shouldn't, shouldn't be drinking, kid. Bah, bah, bah. Gotta learn your lesson. Now that said, number eight. Ew. Denise calling her getting locked in the bathroom and hooking up with Kenny Fate. Bro, because Kenny is an idiot asshole before and after and fine he apologizes but like the knee-jerk reaction of this should have been a big old nope seriously 
and listen, things happen in a little bit and we'll get into that in a moment, but you were BFFs with this kid in elementary school and then you got to middle school and he decided he wanted to be too cool for you. Then you get locked in a bathroom together and I can get, I guess, just being like, ah, I miss this kid that I was friends with, but not from elementary school, okay? So yes, they use his love kit. It seems like it's not great for her, but what high school sex is really great, honestly. How often is it really great? I'm not saying it never is. Never say never, but also really how often is it great? And to be fair, maybe she shouldn't have brought up the fact that he didn't last that long or something, but I think she was trying for like some constructive criticism. Again, not the best time girl but still his reaction was to be a total asshole he had to remorph into cultural appropriation man yeah. you know it's like oh here he comes again yo dog you know like maybe it was your fault exactly it was your fault not my fault i'm perfect yo and it's just like uh, if it was just someone else yeah oh, <laughs> exactly exactly though he had to remorph into cultural appropriation asshole yeah, because he got i mean i don't even know offended i guess and and again i'm not saying she should have said the things she said right in that moment of course but also i think she did it because they'd known each other for a long time and she thought that they had reached a point where she could be like safe with him again or something I don't know, whatever. It was gross and I hated it. And then like she has that whole conversation with Preston outside of the diner as Kenny's in there like drinking hot cocoa or coffee or something with a bunch of whipped cream or foam on it and he gets it all over his nose and Mm -hmm. Preston's like, really, dude? And she goes back in and their little feature text thing is like, Denise broke up with him five minutes later. So she breaks up with him almost immediately anyway. But then they found a bathroom and got back together. Got back together. And it's like, oh, that's going to be a great relationship. Exactly. It's stupid. Again, it was a uh, a missed opportunity for a good character arc where you're like, hey, you know what? Seth Green turned around. He turned his he turned around his ways and was like, he just be, kind of became like a normal person. And then, you know, the girl was like, okay, I'm not going to be so cold or whatever. And they actually wind up being like great for each other. But you know what? That's a little bit of story, I guess, you know, and that's cool. Yeah, it's cool in a movie, right? Have a little bit of story. Garbage. (sighs) All right. Well, we're at the end of the movie now, not at the end of our episode. But number nine, Amanda not only going to Preston in the end, which, okay, I can get behind a little, a little bit, just considering his supposedly sweet letter. But then after just seven hours together, before he goes away to college, they end up together and it's implied that it was forever. And there have been recent interviews, recent being, I think, at the 20 year anniversary or something like that of this Mm -hmm. stupid movie where the creators are like yeah sure that's yeah they're still together and it's like kill me now i can understand her wanting to actually go and apologize to him because she went off on him assuming he was just like her weird cousin by marriage or the other five dudes who tried to approach her and be like yeah don't sleep with me because we had like a moment a billion years ago right i totally get her wanting to apologize when she realized that he wasn't on that level i can even say like okay this guy wrote you this really awesome letter you want to kiss him because honestly 
I've been there. I had a dude in high school who did that, wrote a really sweet letter. I don't even want to get into details, but I absolutely did hang out with and kiss him because of that really, really fucking sweet letter. And he wrote me many letters after that too. Very sweet kid. Not a sweet kid that you stay with, you know, but that's the point. They spend seven hours together and then he goes away to college and she writes him a letter every day he's gone. Every day he's gone. What the fuck else is she doing? Yeah, like, does she have a job? Like, what is she doing? She she writes him a letter every day he's gone. That's implying every day he's gone for all of college. I'm sure they saw each other. He would come back for summers or whatever in the future. But also, what? Look, how it should have been written was like this. She comes back, and like you said, she apologizes for how she acted. That's good. See, that's good writing right there. Hey, no problem. I'm leaving to college. Oh, that's disappointing. But, you know, okay. And then it ends with, they stayed in touch throughout the years, and when he came back from college, they reconnected, and they wound up forming a relationship. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense to me, right? You want to hear my theory on what actually happened? He's going to the train. He's got his bags with him. He's like, oh, fuck, what a weird weekend. I'm sad. And the girl that I like doesn't fucking talk to me. He goes to get on the train. Before he gets on the train, it's not stopped yet. Let's just say the train's coming, whatever. Some rando pushes him onto the tracks. He gets hit, killed instantly. He just dies, okay? So what happens is that you, like, catch the dead, right? You catch the dead, and then you're, like, stuck in that, like, dream world, right, before you move on to the big light. So I think that he's dead, and he's just envisioning how that should have gone, you know, where it's like, oh, this is what should have happened before he goes into the big fucking gig in the sky. Like, that's where he's at. That's my theory on the actual ending. Oh, my God. Or, like... (laughs) Even earlier on, instead of the angel dancer coming to talk to him, he ends up getting uh, like stabbed by somebody at in the middle of the night when he's trying to use a payphone in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around. Yeah, right. That's like, what happens. Yeah, and like, the rest of it is just mm-hmm. like yeah, like he gets <laughs> mugged, like he gets mugged, he gets killed, <laughs> and then Jenna Elfman shows up and she's like the actual angel, you oh know, and God. is like, "I'm come here to take your soul," but she's not going to say that because she's like, "No, this guy has shit he has to work out." in his head so we need to let the movie play on like he thinks he's still alive and then we'll tell him in the end after jennifer love hewitt shows up and they tell we're like hey bro hold on a second look none of this happened you're actually dead you died back then if they would have had a flashback scene of what happened oh that'd be like fuck this movie's good this is a good movie look at that dude shit i'm like now that now okay now it makes sense <laughs> Right. Because it's like the angels are like, well, we didn't really know what like a white thug was. So we kind of did some research and put a guy together. Yeah. Okay. Well, now it makes sense. I have a funny story, actually. There's actually a thing that, that I thought about when Preston was on the couch and he like shifted his leg. And he knocked down that bottle and everybody's like looking at him or whatever, because he was trying to talk to this girl or whatever. I had an experience very similar to that. And it was the first time I ever gave a girl my phone number. Okay. And it was at a bar in like downtown Miami. I went there with my best friend who was this girl. I mean, her really, really tight. There was a big table. We sat down with, with her friends because it was just big and they weren't taking up the whole table. They were really sweet. And me and her got along like awesome. So, you know, I finally we're like, oh, hey, we're going to go leave. We're going to take off. I'll see you later. Nice meeting you, whatever. So we leave and we wind up not leaving. So my friend Anna drags me back to the bar by the arm. Like she's mad at me. And she goes to the bartender. She's like, give me a napkin and give me a pen. And he's like, okay. So she writes my number down. And she's like, you go back over there and you go give her your fucking phone number right now or you're walking home. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I go back, the girl sees me and she's like happy to see me like, oh, hey, you're back. There is a table full of empty beer bottles because we've all been drinking. So me and my drunk ass bumps into the table really hard and all of the beer bottles come crashing down. 
So here I am with this like napkin in one hand. I bumped into the table, knocked down all this beers. And the girl literally looks at me and God bless her heart because she was like a little jokester. She just looks at me and goes, does one of these, you know? And I was like, fuck here. If you want to call me and hang out, call me hang out. I got to go by. And I just like left. <laughs> I never heard from her, but <laughs> you know, like, that's what it made me think of when I saw that scene. I was like, fuck bro i've been there no worries man <laughs> we all done it <laughs> all right well last but not least number 10 the sheer number of random cringy things that happened in this movie okay the lamest fuck yearbook quotes yeah. oh high school so for me we didn't have to specifically put a quote or quotes for our senior yearbooks. We were allowed to put in memories. So the little like box of text I got was just a run together paragraph of memories. But the quotes that they had in this one, Preston choosing a thorough quote, fine, whatever. But it seems weird that the one he chose was beware of all enterprises that require new clothes. That doesn't feel like Preston to me, especially since he's apparently super into Kurt Vonnegut, which we'll get into later. But fine. <sighs> Mike Dexter's just win, baby. Al Davis, owner, Oakland Raiders. Okay, I get yeah. it. Kenny's was picture me rolling, Tupac. Denise's was a true friend stabs you in the front, Oscar Wilde. William apparently didn't have a quote, or if he did, I couldn't find it online. And then last but not least, and I think there were more than this, but Amanda's was, I'd rather see the world from another angle, which is Jewel. And I was not a big Jewel fan, so I didn't recognize it. I saw that it was Jewel, and I was like, oh, that must have been the singer that was popular at that time. And I'm sure Jewel's great and fantastic. I'm not shitting on her. I just, yeah, I just wasn't really uh, into it. But to me, what I thought of was, like, those fucking things you see at the fucking Hobby Lobby where it's, like, live, laugh, love, and it's done in that fucking font. You know? Every time I see that fucking font, I just want to murder people. Like, I want to set the building on fire. So I will say... And I'll get into this in our things I liked about this movie, but I actually feel like Amanda's was the only quote that was actually legit. Because Jewel's a very folksy singer, and she was super popular in the late 90s, but it's one of those things where I feel like Amanda was the only person who chose that quote. Okay, I can't. I'm talking about <laughs> Like, she's a real fucking <laughs> I feel like that's the only quote that they actually chose with, like, feeling. The rest of them, they were like, yeah, what can we put for this character? But Amanda's, I felt, had, like, actual feeling behind it. And maybe that's because I'm a Jewel fan and it was unexpected for popular girl to use, like, folksy singer as her quote. But... Can I give you my my little take on this one? Let me tell you why I didn't like it. It's because I was expecting something more complex that she was going to say, right? Because everybody said something that was kind of complex. And this was one of those times in the movie where I was like, oh, you just made her come off like a normal person. And since no one else in this movie ever came off as a normal person at all, there was that disbelief where I was like, oh, that's why I didn't like it. Because you actually did something that seemed pretty natural. And yeah, and the quote was good, you know, and it was... It was great, but because of the way everybody was, I don't know. It just. So I felt like I just I felt like Denise and Preston were over the top and like Mike and Kenny were spot on. But I'm going to get into this and the things I liked about this. Movie What's the anyway. name of the song again? I'm Sensitive by Jewel. I'm going to look that up after we're done. Also, the whole does she even go here 
thing with Denise yeah. got a bit old. Like, yeah. no, I'm sorry. It was a bit that got real old. Their school clearly isn't so large <laughs> that it's like thousands of people yep. per class. So it just, it was a lot. <laughs> I don't know where to put my big rant about this movie. I have one big rant in my head about this movie and like, I'm trying to save it to the end. So I think I have things on that and then I'll just add it at the end. All right. Another little bit. Amanda's outfit is so bad. Did she wear the same outfit throughout the entire movie? Well, I think she's in a different outfit when she goes to the train station and when, when she comes to the school in the first place, but in the party scenes she is wearing two shades of blue and the shirt is just like a cami like it even has like the adjustable bra straps on the back who the fuck decided that should be her outfit and i did see in an article that they put mike and amanda in blue aka primary colors because they Mm -hmm. wanted them to stand out but also i don't care that outfit was hideous there were so many kind of i don't know if cute is the way i would describe them now because it's like late 90s fashion and late 90s fashion was always questionable at best yeah but it was just like she was wearing a light blue or light ish blue cami and like a navy mini skirt it was dumb yeah it was like the most boring fucking thing for somebody who's supposed to be the main character and i'm not saying she should have been wearing something sexy i'm just saying she should have been wearing something that stood out a little bit more i don't know I, I would expect her to be in something a little more classy. Yeah, it was definitely like way too like it was way too basic nineties, like yeah. so basic, like so basic. But maybe that falls into her character, right? Because they didn't really give her any dialogue. They didn't really do it. You know, like you got a little bit of a sense of personality from her, but I don't know, man. Like I didn't. Maybe they did that on purpose because they kind of wanted you to fill the blanks on who her character was to make her appealing to the viewer or whatever yeah. dude is like actually watching. You know, and I, I mean, mean, it's Jennifer, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I guess she's just supposed to be appealing on site. I don't feel it, but she's cute. I mean, she, yeah, I wasn't into her like the way I was into like Rachel Lee Cook or something like that, you know, but like, yeah, like she was cute. Jennifer Love Hewitt was already kind of outside of my time when I was watching shit like that. Like, I didn't really give a fuck, you know, I was like, I don't fucking care. Yeah, no, I've never gotten the Jennifer Love Hewitt thing. An attractive person for sure, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, Rachel Lee Cook, I would I would say tops her a lot. So. Yeah, like by a lot, you know. And I liked her, and she did all those anti-drug fucking commercials, you know. Rachel Lee Cook, this is your brain on drugs. You know? <laughs> I hope yeah. she got paid a lot for those, and I hope she regrets them now. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But anyway, so Amanda's outfit was bad. Also, I'm fairly certain it was only two songs on the entire soundtrack. But also, it felt like they were playing Smash Mouth constantly. <laughs> I know it's 1998, but also, yeah. come on, man. I was gonna say, I mean that that was the time for Smash Mouth. That that was their 15 minutes was like that year. You oh, know? I know. Don't I know? Yeah. <laughs> Again, I know it was only two songs. Maybe they replayed them a bunch of times, and I didn't like take note of it. But it just felt like a lot. They definitely played it a few times. I definitely heard it in there a few times, and I was like, oh, it's fucking Smash Mouth. Like, okay. Okay. So this one's on me. Preston mentions at the end of the movie that his hero is Kurt Vonnegut because that's why he's going to college early is there's like a writing class or something that he's going to do with Kurt Vonnegut, which first of all seems ridiculous. Oh God. 
So his hero being Kurt Vonnegut and his whole like I'm the nice guy TM thing throughout Kurt Vonnegut. I've read Kurt Vonnegut. I've never enjoyed reading Kurt Vonnegut. The women in what is arguably his most famous or most popular book, which is Slaughterhouse-Five, are all either dead early, are porn stars, or are bitchy and or flighty. Look up Welcome to the Monkey House. I would not suggest you read it. Just look up the details on that, all I'm going to say. You know, I get that you can kind of say, fine, he was just old-fashioned, but really it has always seemed to me like he pretty much hated women or at the very least thought women were all very dumb in a way that does actually kind of feed into Preston's whole narrative of like, Amanda is mine and we are meant to be together. But also, I don't think that's what the writers meant. I think the writers actually meant for Preston to seem like a really good guy who got what he deserved, aka the girl, in the end. And a lot of this is the, okay, it's been 25 years, but still. And if his character was like that because the guy he loved did the favorite books or whatever was fucking Kurt Vonnegut, again, that would have been good writing. And uh, it wasn't. They were really trying to make him out to just be like, oh, no, he's just fucking good. It's like, look, I think in high school I tried reading Kurt Vonnegut because I always had a crush on little photography girls and they were like into like those books and stuff. And I was like, oh, I got to do things to kind of relate to them so i'm gonna i'm gonna read and i was more of like an eastern philosophy guy like i would i would read like siddhartha i would read like like the fucking Tao Te ching like stuff like that and then it was like okay now i'm gonna get into this weird abstract weird whatever the fuck craziness and i tried reading kurt vonnegut dude i think i got a chapter into that shit and i was like man i cannot fucking do this shit i didn't like the writing so i was one of these guys that just they talk about him like oh he was this great writer i'm like i don't fucking know never read his shit sorry uh, anyway, you said you had stuff you probably wanted yeah. to add to other cringy nonsense. I'm very interested to hear it. So I don't know so much about cringe. I mean, because the whole movie is fucking cringe, right? Like the whole movie from start to fucking finish was literally cringe. I felt uncomfortable from start to finish watching this fucking movie. Number one, it wasn't the movie I thought it was. And then when I looked at the cover, because my eyes are going so fucking bad, I thought the guy on the cover was fucking Paul Rudd. And I'm like, well, the movie can't fucking be bad because it's fucking Paul Rudd in it, right? But it's it's not. And it doesn't even look like him. It's just my eyes for some reason saw him in it. And I was like, well, it's going to be fucking funny. And it was from start to finish. I have no idea what the fuck they were doing with this movie. <laughs> I feel like this movie is all of the deleted scenes from every teen movie that they didn't know what to do with the footage. And they're like, I have a great idea. Let's mash it all up together into one movie like this is like the leftover parts you know like back in the day when your mom had like 20 leftovers and i I don't want to have 20 plates in here i'm gonna mash them all into one bowl is what i'm gonna do and then we'll just warm it up and the kids will just eat it there's some bacon in there there's some cereal you know like whatever and that's what this movie felt like to me it was just fucking weird i don't know what to say about it i literally sat there and that was when i texted you when i was like tara what the hell did you have me watch you know (laughs) This is weird. Really fucking weird. I felt like it was like a missed opportunity to where it was like, okay, this movie could have been good. Number one, if you would have given it an R rating and brought it to like a a mature audience and just kept it there. But in 1998, they wouldn't have made any money. No. So they're like, we got We got to make it appeal to everybody. The dialogue, fucking terrible. The characters, completely fucking hated them. All the characters. The nerds, we're going to make them over-the-top nerds. Look, I know I'm going to like kind of wrinkle a few feathers here, but I was not a Big Bang Theory fan at all. No, me either. All of my normie friends, when they found out that I was geeky, were like, oh, what about the Big Bang Theory? Oh my God, it's so funny. And I'm like, 
no no it's no. not no it's not it's just derogatory against nerds it's a stereotype none of us talk like that none of us do things like like nerds are actually well maybe saying none chill. of us is bad but generally generally it made it seem like all of us act like this talk like this are like this and yeah. it's like you cannot actually be a person who is i don't know an extrovert and can speak in normal environments without being just like what about this stupid reference yeah and that's what it was it was just like a series like somebody went found a bunch of references and we're like we're just gonna put this in somewhere in the actual show and the characters again completely unlikable unrelatable you know i just didn't care and i I hated that show i always always saw that show as like a mockery and everybody liked it and it's like you said the same thing with like my friends and normie friends are like oh this must be what you and your friends do no, yeah, that's not a bad comparison. Well, at least in terms of the nerd people in this movie. It just really felt like it was just, I don't know, this movie just felt like paper clippings from some different story and they just all kind of mashed it together into one story. And then the other side of me felt like, you know what, there is a script somewhere about this movie that's actually probably pretty decent and pretty reasonable. But this is what the execs wanted. This is what the big wigs wanted. Or this is a movie that has been on the cutting board for many years, probably since the mid 90s, that they're like, look, we just need to get the movie done. Let's just get it out because we have nothing else better to do. Like Part of that- me would also like love to see them redo this movie for current times. Yep. But also, I don't know how they possibly could because like Kenny couldn't be Kenny. Thank God also yeah. for that. And the written letter thing could still be a thing, but they would lose the misconnections part of it because everybody would have a smartphone. Well, and I, I can write that for you right now. I'll write it for you right now. The kid sends the girl a uh, Facebook message, direct message, right? He gets drunk and is like, oh shit, I just wrote this fucking girl message. The girl doesn't see it right away, right? Because why? Because they're not friends on Facebook. It goes to like the requested. Mm. And then a few days later, a week later, she's like, oh, what's this? And then clicks on it and is like, oh my God, it's Preston because I can see his face. And then here's this very loving like letter. And you're right. I think if they would have wrote it today, I don't know. Maybe it'd have been a little better. Maybe, maybe they could have done it. All that said. Now it's time for us to to dig deep, real deep, for the few things to add to our these are all that list. So for me, I'm going to say the cameos. It was really cool to see a lot of those people. I'm pretty sure I saw Amber Benson caressing a banana in the kitchen at one point. I'm pretty sure it was her. It was like literally like a three second scene. Look at that. I'm looking it up right now. I know she, I know it was her. Stone girl. There you go. Yeah. She was like touching a banana. I missed that one. Dude, it was like quick. It was quick, but I saw her face and I was like, oh shit, that's Amber Benson. And Jenna Elfman, I love Jenna Elfman. I've always been a fan of her. So it was really cool to see her. And Melissa Joan Hart, I'm going to say this. I know she aggravates everybody, but like, dude, when I was growing up, like I was already older, but she was like, Clarissa explains it all, right? Yeah. And And my little sister was really into that show. So when I see her on screen, I always feel like, man, it's like seeing an old friend who I haven't seen in 20 or 30 years. And I'm like, oh man, it's cool. It's you again. She was the star in another late 90s, maybe early 2000s movie that we will eventually cover. But I remember her from Clarissa Explains It All as well. Mm-hmm. But more so, I remember her from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Hers was not even a cameo in this movie. It was hardcore, like, the yearbook girl. Yeah, the yearbook girl. And you know. I made a comment in our doc where I was like, do you think anybody would notice if I cosplayed her? Yeah. 
a pink dress and pigtails and a yearbook in your hands. Yep. And I already felt like that girl at Ice and Firecon because we did yearbooks this year at Ice and Firecon. Nice. So I was carrying around my yearbook, like, sign my yearbook, sign my yearbook, sign my yearbook. I mean, I wasn't nice. forceful about it like she was. The Sharpies on the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, the memories. Like, Melissa Joan Hart. I think what she has is that she has charm and she has charm in a time when most did not back then. Most of the, uh, in particular, a lot of these like teen female actresses, they were very cardboard cut out. They were either like really pretty or like, you know, whatever, but that was it. They didn't have that like comedy flair. And that's why when I was in the, I guess it was like late nineties, I guess, early two thousands. I was a big fan of Amanda Bynes. I was a big fan of Amanda Bynes. Because of that, because I was like, you know what? She goes up there and she makes an ass out of herself. To me, that's how I saw it. It's like, she has that charm. She's not trying to be the Disney fucking princess. She's like, hey, I do funny shit and watch me do it. You're probably right. Melissa Joan Hart has that. And maybe it's because of Clarissa Explains It All. She has that girl next door feel. Yeah. And I know in this movie, she was super annoying. I mean, she was super annoying. Even if you like her, she was super annoying. but it was was hilariously annoying it was funny because it's that's not really her kind of character to play so it's kind of funny to see somebody kind of step outside and do that i'm just going to piggyback on yours so that we can go ahead and list all of the Mm -hmm. cameos and stuff there were two clueless cameos brecken meyer and donald Faison. yeah I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Faison. I know Faison. Meyer has been in other things other than Clueless. He he does a lot of robot chicken. Yeah. He was in Road Trip too, but mm-hmm. Meyer does a lot of robot chicken <laughs> stuff. But he was in Clueless in 96, and so was Donald Faison. Now, obviously, Donald Faison was also in Scrubs Forever. Chocolate Bear. And Jerry O'Connell was Trip. Jason Seagal, he was the watermelon guy. He was the watermelon guy. When I was like looking up stuff about this movie, I did actually read an article that mentioned that they wanted to cast him. They didn't give any specifics, but they were like, he's not right for major parts, but we have to cast him. So they put him as the watermelon guy. But yeah, he's been super big. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is like his biggest movie probably, but Mm -hmm. he was in How I Met Your Mother the entire fucking time. Did so. you ever watch uh, Freaks and Geeks? That That's, I think, where I first saw him was in Freaks and Geeks. I've seen some episodes, yeah. but I haven't, like, watched, watched it. I think that was the first time. I don't know where that falls into the timeline, if it would have been after this or before this. It, like, I I'm pretty sure it was after. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Jerry O'Connell, though. Yeah, that was weird. That was kind of a weird one. It's like, oh, cool, you're here. But then being at the party, dude, you're at a party where there's underage girls. Like, what, what are you here to do? You want Chris Hansen to show up? Like, like, what are you doing here, dude? But I guess he was supposed to be that guiding light. And then there was Jenna Elfman as the angel dancer. And she's like famous from that show. What's that show, Manny? Uh, Dharma and Greg. Yeah. That was one of those shows that I think fell in between two other shows. Like it might've been in between like Just Shoot Me and then like Spin City or something. And I think it was oh somewhere God, in there. Right. That's where I think where I was like, oh, because I liked the two other shows. So I would just kind of roll and just watch that show also. She's also in Fear the Walking Dead. I know she was in shit before that, but she is also in Fear the Walking Dead. Interesting. That's kind of, sadly, unfortunately, where I (laughs) know from. And then there was like the, before they were famous, the guy who played Mike, Peter Fascinelli. He was the dad in the Twilight series. He's also been in a bunch of Supergirl episodes. Jamie Presley was obviously in my name is earl my name is earl i I was like i know her from somewhere and i can't remember you're right my name she was also in not another teen movie which is hilarious yeah 
Clea Duvall, who has been yeah. in other things, American Horror Story and Handmaid's Tale and Heroes, but she was also the art girl from She's All That. From so She's All that. flashback to our first episode. And she was in Buffy too. That's how I remember. Oh, her. okay. Yeah, okay. she was like, oh, okay. she was the, in this episode of Buffy. I remember her. Selma Blair. And I guess this was very much pre-Legally Blonde. And yeah. I think also pre-Cruel Intentions and Hellboy. Yes, it is pre. So, yeah. yeah so this is definitely a before you were famous thing. Yeah. But yeah, watching this movie 25 years later and seeing all of these like who's who of cameos and before they were famous. That part was fun. Now... I'm going to go into, because I know you have something to say about this too. One of my things I liked about this movie was that it was really hard to not like Amanda. Even if I do think she is kind of dumb for running to Preston in the end, because mm-hmm. it sounds more like the afraid of being alone thing that she talks about. The scene where she is telling her cousin about how she wasn't cool before at her previous school, and then she showed up at this school and mike the popular guy wanted to date her so she became popular girl and she actually admits that she didn't break up with him because she was afraid of being alone i get that she even gets kind of deep about how she is known as mike's girlfriend and if she isn't with him what is she She's never been known as anything else by others. She's not even sure she knows herself as anything else. That whole conversation and everything about her, other than her stupid, ugly outfit, she's actually a good person, is what it seems. And nobody has a bad thing to say about her other than like, oh, oh my God, what's she going to do now that Mike broke up with her? Like, it seems like she never made fun of people or wasn't assholes. She was always just kind of this nice girl that ended up in a relationship with a dumb, jerky jock, and Mm -hmm. even she regrets it. I think you can't not like her, personally. It's it's really hard, right? Because she's the most normal thing about any of the movie or the writing or anything. She's the only thing that comes off as kind of real. Maybe it's because they just... They don't give her a lot to say, right? So they kind of let you fill the gaps as to who this person is. So like when I'm watching it, I'm gauging her personality as to who I would expect her to be, where I'm like, oh, she's probably this kind of person, you know, because she didn't have much in the sense of personality. And from the personality that she did have on it, she seemed like a very normal person. Like that's a person that I would look, I'm going to tell you this. Okay, I'm just going to say this right now. Watching this movie was like the last thing I did last night and I went to sleep and I had a dream where I was dating her. Okay. And it was the most normal thing I've ever done in my entire life. And I remember in the dream, watching a movie with her sitting on the couch after I met her parents and being like, this is the most normal thing I've ever done in my life. My brain just took it as like, this is what normalcy looks like. It's like this. It's her. Which I feel like could be taken as a bad thing, but she really does have some great insights into her own history, relationship, and current character. Like you said, she's the only part of this movie that feels like it was actually written legitimately. I feel like a woman had to have written those lines because I don't feel like they would have landed or been as good otherwise. Mm -hmm. I kind of am just like, ugh, about her running to Preston in the end. But I get it. It's a 90s movie. You got to do what you got to do. That said, everything that came before that and most especially her conversation with her cousin by marriage well despite what happened after that which ew 
she is clearly a very introspective, intelligent person. And again, we don't hear a single thing about her being a jerk to anybody ever. No. And I honestly don't feel like she would have been when her friends first, they're like, but Mike, and then they're like fawning all over her when she's like, I don't want to talk about it. And she's just like, I want to get away from these big ass people. It was very much like, yep, I got you, girl. Yeah. And from watching it, you know, I felt like I was attracted to her completely and it had nothing to do with the way she looked. It was just like, this girl is like, she's almost like a mystery. And like, I want to know what makes her tick. And there's so few times in my life where I come across people like that, guys, girls, like whatever, where I'm like, this person is a fucking mystery. And I just need, not that I'm trying to figure you out, but it's like, I just want to know. And her character really gave off those vibes where it was like, if I was at that fucking party, yeah, you bet your ass I would be trying to talk to her. And she would probably take it as like, oh, this guy's trying to hit on me. But I'm like, girl, I just want to know what the last book you read. So I, I, I know where to go next. I just want to get to know who you are as a person. They did a good job with that. And I, I know I keep saying, well, they, she had no personality. She did. It wasn't just like up to us, but they did it in such a good, subtle way that to me personally, I would see it as like, oh, she had no personality because everybody else was so overblown. Mm-hmm. Right. So went to her, she was just normal. But in my brain, I'm like, oh, she has no fucking personality because everyone's personality is up here. The problem is she's normal. Yeah, and she's just she's normal. the literally only normal person in this movie. They did good with that. And and maybe they need to make a sequel with just her. One last thing, the fancy room bit had me LOL for personal oh, reasons. Like yeah. the girl who's hosting the party. First of all, she is over the top the entire time. Like, girl, what did you think was gonna happen when you hosted a party at your yeah. big fancy house? But also it's kind of close to the beginning of the movie. She has like a literal stanchion blocking off the fancy room and she's like you can't go in there it's the one room you can't go in and it just reminded me of high school because my house had that room in high school really (laughs) we had a room that was the living room that was like the room that you didn't take your friends into it was the room that was apart from everything else but the idea of a fancy room is so fucking weird to me even as a kid it was like yeah. Fine, mom, whatever you want. Even, look, total Hispanic kid over here. We never had a room like that, but I had relatives and aunts and stuff that had the one room that you were not allowed to go into for any means whatsoever. And all the couches had the plastic things over, like the plastic zipper casings on everything. Everything. We didn't have plastic zipper casings, but it was just stupid, ugly furniture. Everything was uncomfortable, and you didn't really want to be in there anyway honestly but i really had like a <laughs> personal moment that's my little the fancy room that <laughs> the fancy really room. got me that was definitely a thing a lot of people had that whether you were rich and some people weren't that rich and they still had it my parents had one but when we moved into the suburbs because i you know we were pretty much raised in the inner city and stuff like that but it was the dining room so we would eat there sometimes but it was like a rare occasion and that's where they had the thousand dollar table and they had one of those like china cabinets with the stuff and that was the most expensive thing they had in the house and that was the only time we ever went in there never for anything else but yeah okay so on a scale of one to ten zach morris's on the cringe factor one being the least ten being the worst how do we want to rate this manny it's a 10. I'm sorry. It's a 10. It was the most cringe. Like, no, you know what? I'll, I'll give it like an eight. I'll give it like an eight. I think that um, it's probably not the worst I've seen. I think I'm just still coming off of it right now. But it was <laughs> it was really bad, man. I mean, that was that was not good, like at all. I mean, yeah, 
I'm at like a nine. So I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you'd never seen it before. No, this was one of those movies that I thought I saw where I was like, oh, yeah. You know, when we we're talking about it, I was like, yeah, OK, I remember it. And then I started watching it. and I was like, this is not what I thought it was at all. Like, this is terrible, like really bad. And I had to stop it in the middle of it where I was like, <laughs> I need to take a break. And the movie was only like an hour and 30 minutes, an hour, and 40 minutes long. But like in the middle of it, I was like, no, I need I need to stop just for a minute. And I bought me two of those like big white claws, you know, and like when the first one was done, I was like, oh, I need to stop. I need to kind of think about this for a minute. I need to think about my future in this in this podcast. <laughs> so I don't know how many times I saw it when I was younger. It was definitely once. It might have somehow been twice. Like there might have been a I saw it in the theater and then somehow I had to watch it on VHS. I watched it again. Actually, the night I originally messaged you about like, oh my God, how would you feel about doing <laughs> a Cringe Factor podcast series about these like 90s and early 2000s teen and rom-com movies? I watched She's All That and this one back to back. Wow. Wow. And I was very drunk by the time this one happened and so i was already just like woo don't remember anything so when i watched it again yesterday to make all the notes and stuff i was like oh god because i was sober yeah <laughs> it was so much worse no and i was gonna like, try to so and it's funny because when i watch these movies i pull out my ipad and i have like the apple pencil or whatever and i take notes while i like just to like okay this is what i want to talk about this is what I literally have my notes and they're two, it's two sentences. That's it. And the first one was like something about Preston. And the second sentence says, how could this have happened? <laughs> literally, it was just like, how, how could this have happened? Because it was 1998, <laughs> dude. But they were still making semi quality teen stuff that with this one, I was like, I don't, I don't, I, I just don't even know. I was lost when I watched it. I was completely dumbfounded. It was deer in the headlights kind of situation. And then, me, the kind of person I am, I was like, well, I just have to finish it because I have to know what happens. I mean, obviously, not only because of the podcast, but even if it was like, okay, if I just saw it at random, I'm like, well, I, I need to see how this fucking piece of garbage winds up in the furnace. You know, like, I have to see that happen. If you're registering an eight on the one to 10 Zach Morris scale, and I'm registering a nine, we're giving it an 8.5. I almost feel like that's too low. I feel like you're being too generous. I, I'm, I'm being generous because I've made a point to not shit on others' creations, you know, where I'm like, I'm trying to like think of the person who wrote this thing and like, and the poor guy got fucked. I know he had a good story. I don't know who it was, but bro, I know, or girl, I know you had a good story. That's the, the thing exacts. though. I don't think they did. They literally were throwing like monkey shit at a wall, at a wall. and seeing what stuck. Seeing what stuck. Yeah. And it's like, I know. What do people hate? Nerds. Yeah, this is what nerds do. Yeah, man. Whatever. Did you see the after credits scene? I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> where the, the fucking aliens the pick them up. Guys, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what's funny is that I was going to turn it off right there. And I was like, let me just make sure. And I literally skipped like I had. It was like, oh, there is a scene after this. <laughs> because, of course, why would it just end here when the nightmare can continue? You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm dead. <laughs> oh. Finally. What's our watch this and not that suggestion? When I watch this, I saw Donald Faison and I said, you know what everyone should be watching is fucking Clueless. 
Okay. It came out around the same time, written way better. It was just done better, was performing better, it was acting better. Boom. You're going to watch this? Watch Clueless. What are you not going to watch? Fucking can't hardly wait. <laughs> Fucking can't hardly wait for this movie to be fucking finished. You know, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I wish I had a suggestion that actually melded with what we're doing right now. But right now, I am really into some shows that mm. are actually good. <laughs> I can't even remember or focus on like old stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to go with From. I think it's on Epics, but. You can get the first season on Amazon Prime. It's basically like Stephen King, like a Stephen King story combined mm-hmm. with Lost. It's not actually Stephen King, yeah. but it's like a Stephen King story combined with Lost. It's horror and also crazy thriller mystery stuff. So I very, very highly suggest that because I was trying so hard to come up with something that was more on the lines of this. And I was just yeah. like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it right now. I can't you know, watch any more of this. Yeah. Shit. Like watching it, like it, it made me think of Clueless for like a split second. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'll suggest that. Oh, I'm behind that. 1000% Clueless is amazing. Yeah. Because the only show I'm watching right now is The, the Marvelous Miss Maisel. And it's on its last season. And I'm like completely in love with that show. And I love Rachel uh, Brosnahan so much. So, I, you know, and, and Alex Borstein. So it's at its last season. So right now that's just kind of what I'm writing. I don't have any other shows that I'm like watching right now. Oh, so. no, I feel you. Episode six of the episode that focused on Susie. That was like, if they don't get so many Emmy Awards just for that episode, I will it was so good it was so fucking good everything about that show is like that show makes me just want to drink and smoke cigarettes and like go and outside. wear like adorable clothes yeah, yeah exactly exactly and god damn her fucking hats dude every time she comes in in an outfit it's like the most perfect beautiful thing i've ever seen in my life and i'm like dude why do these hats don't exist anymore why does nobody wear this you know seriously agreed a thousand percent agreed. So I guess your other suggestion is Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I am also backing a thousand percent. And I, I, I didn't want to make that suggestion because I made it the last time. You know. Oh, I was, no, I didn't even remember that. Yeah, like I made it the last time and I was like, don't mention Miss Maisel again. You're really going to sound like a creeper at this point, you know, and I'm like, OK, I'm not. Gonna yeah, but it, it wasn't out yet. The new season wasn't out. yet. No, it wasn't out yet. And no, I've heard wasn't. people complain about the new season. and I'm just like. I love it. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. It's like the the characters. There's there's some things they're doing that I'm not entirely fond of, but Mm -hmm. I will say episode six won me over like nobody's business. It really yeah. Without giving any spoilers. All right. Well, as we close out the episode, we just want to give a shout out to our heroes to your patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thanks so much for supporting us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for 90s and Naughties Cringe Factor on Can't Hardly Wait. For the most current news and updates about this series, please consider backing our Patreon at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment or following me at a geeksaga on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the things. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.